Good morning, brothers and sisters. Man, it's great to see you today. I'm so glad you're here. And as Kevin mentioned a little bit ago, we don't have children's church today, uh, but we do have our program for our four-year-olds. And so if that's you, they're free to go right now, uh, and we will see you after, after. Uh, but if you would normally be going to children's church, I've got a special request for you. Could you do me a big favor? Um, I love when I get artwork from our kids. And so if you're hanging out in here with us this morning, would you do me a favor? I would love it if you would do a picture for me or color something that has to do with the sermon or the, pa the passage that we're studying or just something you think is totally cool. And if you'll give that picture to me uh, when church is done today, I'm going to put those on the door of my office and uh, it will give some nice decoration for the next few weeks. And so thanks so much for hanging out with us this morning in Big Church Kids. I'm glad you're here and uh, it's going to be a good time together. Uh, for those of you who uh, are graduates of Children's Church, would you open your Bibles, please, to Psalm chapter 121. We're in Psalm 121 this morning. We've hit the pause button on our study of Romans, and uh, we're going to spend the next few weeks in the Psalms of Ascent and then pick back up with Romans in September. While you're turning there, uh, just one more housekeeping item. Uh, I want to express my gratitude to Connie for leading us in worship today and, and being uh, in our regular rotation for worship and uh, also all of those uh, our worship leaders who have been helping in Jennifer's uh, absence while she's on her sabbatical. I got an email from Jennifer yesterday uh, with an update. I wanted to share with her permission a, a portion of that with you just so you would know she's doing well and uh, that we're doing okay. So here's what Jennifer says in her email. Uh, she says, uh, I, want, I want to let you know that my most overarching thought right now is that God is faithful and he's good. He so clearly prepared me for this time and I've seen his grace around every corner. He is working in me and revealing himself in so many ways. There have been times of deep wrestling and hard work, but he has led and sustained. I trust in him to help me persevere and bring to completion his plan for me for this sabbatical, just as he will finish the work of my salvation and bring me home one day. And in that home, I will keep learning of his unsearchable greatness. So uh, the word from Jennifer is that God is faithful. Um, her time away is, has been profitable in a number of ways. She rejoins us at the end of August, so continue to pray for her and uh, be an encouragement to those who are leading us in worship uh, in her absence. So we're in Psalm 121 this morning. If you need a page number in the Pew Bible, that's page 543. And uh, last week I gave you a little introduction to the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, the reason we think they're called the Psalms of Ascent is because this uh, small songbook within the larger songbook seems to be the soundtrack for your pilgrimage to the holy city. These are the songs you would sing with fellow pilgrims on your way to Jerusalem to observe the holy days with the Lord. And so these were songs of preparation. They were songs of worship. They cover a wide variety of subject matter. Uh, but the one subject that our song gives us today is the subject of the Lord's 
protection. And protection is a serious matter. Nobody wants second-rate protection. We only want the best. Let me ask you this. If you had to choose one item from your house to protect yourself with, it's not a firearm, supposing there's an abundance of firearms, I don't know, but not a firearm, one item you could choose to protect yourself with, what would it be? I, I had to make that decision uh, in 2005. 2005, Hurricane Katrina landed in New Orleans. At the time, my in-laws, my parents-in-law who are visiting with us today, lived in New Orleans. Uh, my family and I lived 200 miles inland in Jackson, Mississippi. And the reason this story is fresh is because we, we talked about it a bit this weekend. Um, but when our, uh, my parents-in-law, they, they evacuated the city early with a few days worth of clothes because we had been through this routine before where they would evacuate New Orleans before a hurricane and then a few days later everyone goes back home. So they had a few days worth of clothes and, and things with them. Uh, none of us knew that they would end up living with us for a month before they could get back to their place. Uh, and even then it was a, a week or two before uh, the officials even let people back into the city to survey the damage to their own property. So we didn't know what the condition of their house was. We, we had no reports from their street or neighborhood, their city. We, did, we knew nothing. Uh, and then on this one particular day, uh, they opened the city to people to come in quickly and then leave quickly. My father-in-law and I uh, were up at dark o'clock. We loaded the car with the supplies we needed and we waited then in long lines on the interstate and the highways to get into the city. It was surreal. The city was on military grade lockdown. There were military details at major intersections. Uh, very surreal driving past a grocery store and, uh, you know, a Humvee mounted machine gun at the same time. Uh, Black Hawk helicopters were flying low over the city and uh, we got to their house and uh, one of the concerns we had was for safety. There, you, you might remember all the reports of, of looting and, and roaming gangs, committing violence, doing all kinds of things. We didn't know what we were going to run into. So I thought to myself, I, we're going to need protection. And so I quietly packed into the car before we left the one item that I had done the most violence with in my life and thought I could continue to do violence with, a golf club. <laughs> now, we did not face any threat or danger on that day. Uh, which I'm grateful for because I'm quite confident that if I had had to unleash the golf club on any attackers, I would have been murdered over and over and over again. They would have found me without a wallet but holding my driver and they would think, what happened to this guy? And, and look, no doubt I would go down, but I, I would have gone down swinging. I would have gone down slicing, but I would have gone down swinging something either way. But protection, it's an important matter. We don't want a, a sort of discount protection. It's one of those things you want to spend the most money on because you get what you pay for. And second-rate protection is no protection at all. But good protection, and it provides peace of mind, calm, assurance, even gladness in the midst of threats and dangers. Now, we live in a world full of dangers, 
seen and unseen, physical and spiritual. Uh, And these dangers can be occasions for our faith to fracture, to buckle, or or these dangers can be moments in which we experience the all-consuming protection of God. Psalm 121 is a song for people in need of protection. That's every single one of us in this room. The song begins with a search for help. It ends with the singer under the eternal, powerful protection of God. And so my goal today is for you to sing this song and to be convinced to seek shelter under the Lord's protection. When danger lands at your doorstep, when the threat to you is imminent, why would you turn to God? With every question and every doubt and every fear flaring in your life, why would you turn to the Lord for protection? Psalm 121 tells us why, and it shows us four characteristics of God's protection. Follow along with me as I read Psalm 121. The song goes like this, a song of ascents. I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forever. It's a great song. It's a great song, especially in light of the one we studied last week. Uh, The Psalms of Ascent are not necessarily in some sort of sequential subject matter, but if you remember, if you were with us last week, Psalm 120 speaks of the difficulty of being a believer in a world that doesn't believe, looking for help, and then you get to Psalm 121 and the singer says, I'm looking for help, where is it going to come from? The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so this psalm answers the question for us, why would we trust in the Lord When I'm under attack or when I'm in danger, what is the Lord's protection like? Why is it so good that I would trust in Him in these moments? Let me show you four characteristics of God's protection of His children. The first is this. God's protection is omnipotent. God's protection is omnipotent. It is all-powerful. He possesses all strength, all might. It is omnipotent. So the song begins with an important question. The question is, where will my help come from? That's a question for every single one of us in this room. There's no one here that would read that question and think, that's just about someone else. I'm quite fine. I don't need help. I'm in no need of rescue. This is for other people more afflicted in more difficult days than me. No, every one of us. Who's more dead today than we were yesterday? Every one of us, prone to sickness and heartache and sorrow and difficulties of every kind. Every one of us, we have this question where will my help come from? And what does that question say about us? It says that we're fragile people in need of help. 
And what does that question say about our rescue? Well, it says that our rescue comes from beyond ourselves. I lift my eyes to the mountains. I'm looking for a help, a rescue beyond me. What does that question say about our world? It says we live in a world of trouble. The Bible's worldview is that this world is a place full of trouble and brokenness. The world is not an easy place to be a human. And why is that? Well, we believe what the Bible says about the beginning of all things and the brokenness of all things. God created all things in perfection, without suffering, without death. However, the first man and the first woman violated God's command and their rebellion broke creation. And we now live in a world marred by sin, our sin. I recently saw an interview with a, a British celebrity and, and very outspoken atheist, a man named Stephen Fry. And the interviewer asked Stephen this question. He said, if there is a God, and you could ask him one question, what would you ask? And Stephen Fry didn't hesitate. He said, I would ask, why bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you create a world full of misery that is not our fault? That's not right, it's evil. Why would I worship a capricious God who creates a world full of such pain? You could have easily created a world in which those things don't exist. I don't want to be with a God like that. The moment we banish him, the world becomes simpler, cleaner, easier, more worth living in, in my opinion. But you still have bone cancer in children, Stephen Fry. You still have all kinds of sickness and death and injustice and sorrows. Stephen Fry asked, why didn't God create a world in which those things don't exist? He did. And we are responsible for the corruption of Eden. It's possible you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're an atheist like Stephen Fry. Maybe you're someone not an atheist, but you say, look, I'm, I'm on a search. I'm trying to figure these things out. Here's what you have to get right about the Bible's view of the world and what it teaches us. We are the corruptors of creation. Mankind is responsible for every kind of horror and injustice and suffering and death. We have messed everything up and we deserve God's judgment as a result but here's how incredible God is he is a God of infinite compassion and grace and mercy and his love for us is such that he will not leave us to die in the corruption we've created but rather he has chosen to come and rescue us How does he rescue us? He comes to us, enters his creation. Uh, Jesus is God in the flesh. He is fully God and fully man. And when he died on the cross, he died in your place for your sin. All that we've done to corrupt this world, to bring death and destruction, he was held accountable for. He's the one we've sinned against. He's the creator of all things perfect. And yet he died as if he's the one who made all of it foul and nasty. He has to be fully human in order to really die. He has to be fully God in order for his death to be effective for some purpose. And so he died on the cross, and three days later he rose from the dead. 
And his promise to us is that if we will turn from our sin and our self-righteousness and our brokenness and, and all the ways we would accuse God like Stephen Fry or Cody Busby has done, then his promise to us is that he will rescue us, save us, forgive us, make us whole, make us his children forever and ever. He's a good God. He's the rescuing God. He's the saving God. He's not a God that made a mistake. He is by no means capricious or evil. He's the God who loves you. And if you don't know him as your Savior, I don't want you to leave this building today without having your eternity settled. And so when the service is done today, would you come and grab me? Let's talk. Let's talk about who Christ is, what salvation looks like. And today, you can know that he's your God and you're his child when you turn to him by faith. So we live in a world broken by sin, a world that requires rescue. And where is our help going to come from? Verse 2 gives us the answer that drives the rest of the song. Look at verse 2. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, there are views of the world that will tell you that you are specifically responsible for your specific suffering. Either it's karma, or it's just an illusion, or it's some temperamental God punishing you for the things you've done wrong. The problem with these views is that either there's no escape from the suffering, you're just fated to live in it and live in that suffering forever, or you have to rescue yourself. So do enough things to get the, the moody God to swing your way, and then maybe things will turn in your favor, or the universe will give you something good uh, for a change. The problem with these views is that there's no escape, or you alone are the rescuer of yourself. But that's not what verse 2 tells us. Verse 2 says, our rescue comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He is the Lord. He reigns supreme over all creation. He serves no one. He sits enthroned above all things. And then we're given his resume, the maker of heaven and earth. Look, that, that should be the end of the song right there. Hey, I'm struggling. Who's going to help me in this? The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. All right, let's go. If I've got the creator on my side, oh, what do I have to fear? Why would I struggle or worry or doubt when the maker is for me? This is an incredible promise that God's people have carried with, this, with them into the pit and more than survived, been restored and redeemed and rescued by their Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The singer asks for a helper. The helper is the creator. He, he doesn't dispatch help. He doesn't send an angel to tend to your needs. He doesn't ask for one of your beloved ancestors to come by your side. He himself is the rescuer. He doesn't farm it out to anyone lesser. He himself comes to our aid. Your help comes from the uncreated creator. Omnipotence is your help. So what is the Lord's protection like? It's powered by omnipotence. It lacks nothing. It never weakens. It does not struggle. It is never in doubt. It is never threatened. The maker 
is your rescuer. God's protection is omnipotent. There's a second characteristic on display in this song. And it is that God's protection is vigilant. He is omnipotent. He is vigilant in his protection over his children. Verses 3 and 4 describe God's constant care of his people. Look at what verse 3 says. It starts with this interesting phrase. It says, he will not allow your foot to slip. That phrase, foot to slip, it's an idiom. It's a figure of speech. And it's an incredibly rich phrase. There's perhaps two specific ways you could make sense of this figure of speech. What is What does the song mean when it says, he will not allow your foot to slip? Well, first of all, this can just be a way of describing the details of life, the minutia that we deal with every day, right? Verse 2 just told us that our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So there we get this view of his bigness. And the next line says, he will not allow your foot to slip. We go from this grand view to this very detailed description of his care and protection for us. And the Bible does this often. It, it pairs God's greatness with his attention to detail. Another way to say it is we see his transcendence and his eminence portrayed together all over the pages of Scripture. One famous example of this pairing is found in the opening line of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven. Our Father is language of eminence, detail, nearness. In heaven is language of transcendence, bigness, greatness, Lord, uh, maker of heaven and earth type of language. And so we have this poetic balance to the song in these two lines. He's the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, but he's also the one who orders your steps. He pays attention to the details. He's going to take care of your daily bread. He's not going to allow your foot to slip. Even your single steps are ordered and watched after by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's one way to make sense of this phrase. There's a second way to make sense of the phrase foot to slip, and and that's by looking at how that phrase is used uh, elsewhere in the Bible. And it's not used in in only one specific way, but there is a common way or a reoccurring way in which the phrase is used throughout the Bible, and that is to describe spiritual failure. The spiritual life is described in multiple places in the Bible as a journey along a path. And when we are walking in the Lord's protection and care, we have a sure footing. We have a straight path. Our feet are on a rock. We have secure steps. But spiritual failure is described as steps going down to death or ankles faltering or feet slipping. So when the song says he will not allow your foot to slip, it's correct to understand this as a promise that our God will protect us from spiritual ruin and failure. A famous example of this from elsewhere in the Bible comes also from the Lord's Prayer where we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
Right? That's, that's the full meaning of verse 3. This is a statement of confidence in God that he's able to deliver the salvation he promised. He will hold us all the way through in every temptation and every difficulty. It reminds us that, 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 that 1 John tells us the Lord is faithful when we are unfaithful. He will hold us all the way through. He will not allow your foot to slip. And then verses 3 and 4, they go on to describe God in this very specific way. It, the, the song says, your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. So your protector, the maker of heaven and earth, doesn't slumber, doesn't sleep. He doesn't take time off. He never leaves you unattended. He doesn't need to recharge his batteries. In other words, his vigilant care for you is unceasing. He is vigilant in his attention to the smallest needs of your life, and he is vigilant in his spiritual protection over you. God's children do not suffer sneak attacks from the enemy. Now, the difficulties of spiritual life, spiritual warfare may indeed catch us by surprise, but your protector is watching closely, and he will not allow your foot to stumble. You are never caught unguarded unprotected by any scheme of the enemy. I think this is best exemplified uh, for us in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 10, there's this scene that always messes with me. We find Daniel in real spiritual distress. He is messed up. And in chapter 10, he's praying and, I mean, he's having a proper spiritual fit. And in his distress, he has a vision. And he's visited by the angel of the Lord. Now, you might remember this scene. The angel of the Lord comes to Daniel. And in the speech to Daniel, the angel tells him this, says, I just left a battle to come to you. And what I take that to mean is that this angel of the Lord was engaged in a spiritual battle, a spiritual warfare. And the angel says, I put that on pause. Reinforcements came. I was able to step away to come tend to you. And when I'm done here, I'm going back to the battle. It's a really fascinating scene. And here's what I think it teaches us and helps us understand about the nature of the Lord's vigilant care. We have no idea the enormity of evil that God keeps at bay. We do not know the evils He protects us from. We do not know how many times He has intervened without telling us. We look at the world and we see evil and brutality, but we have no idea how bad things would be were it not for God's restraining hand. Your protector never slumbers. He does not sleep, but you can rest awake or asleep because he is your protector. He is your guard from every spiritual evil. Your God is vigilant in his perfect care for you. Your protector is omnipotent. His protection is vigilant. A third characteristic of God's protection is this. God's protection is close. The next two verses speak of the proximity of the Lord's protection. Verse 5, the Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. If you have a different translation of the Bible, it, it reads a little different. So if you have an NIV, it says the Lord is a shade at your right hand. 
Similarly, if you have an ESV, it says the Lord is a shade on your right hand. And the intention of the language is to describe the proximity of the Lord, His nearness. His protection is immediate. He's always present, always there. He's right by our side. Your protector doesn't wait in a far-off shed to be dispatched by your prayer. As if you just, you take on the day in your own power, in your own way, and then when things get really serious, then you can call on God and, oh, protector coming, and then he comes. He's at your right side, at your right hand, right by your side. We started the song asking, where's my help going to come from? It was right here the whole time, right at my side. Verse 6 tells us the kinds of threats that the Lord protects us from. Verse 6 says, The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. That's kind of weird language. What does it mean? Well, I I think, again, there's a couple of different ways of making sense of verse 6. First of all, dangers in the day and, and dangers in the night could be a poetic way of describing all dangers visible and invisible. And so in that sense, this could simply mean that God protects us from every and all danger. And and that's certainly true, whether this is where we land on the meaning of verse 6 or not. He certainly protects. In fact, the song goes on in the next verse to tell us he's going to protect us from all harm. Uh, But there's something unique to verse 6 that I think speaks to a more specific concern. It names two dangers. Sun by day, moon by night. We can understand the threat of the sun striking us by day. Things like heat, drought, sunburn, sunstroke, all kinds of sun-related problems are known to us. So we can take that in a bit of a literal way to think of actual physical dangers. But what about the moon by night? We don't really think of the moon as being a source of danger. But that's not how many ancient people thought of the moon. There was this ancient belief that the moon could have an adverse effect on the mind. So what you and I know today to be mental health challenges to some ancient people, they blamed that behavior, that way of living as the fault of the moon. And I know that sounds strange to blame the moon for mental health challenges, but we still have glimpses of that thinking in our common cultural language. Have you ever blamed the behavior of your children on a full moon? Oh, yeah, you have, you secret astrologer. I can't believe you would do that. You very modern man or woman, but we do. It must be a full moon. Now, we, we say it as a throwaway, kind of, but it's still just a throwaway comment. Well, well that the seed of that thinking comes all the way from uh, ancient man and woman. So here's why I think verse 6 is so important. In this song, which is intended to give strength to embattled people, is a verse specifically for those who struggle with mental health challenges. If that's you, I would believe you if you were to tell me, I feel like an outcast. I feel ashamed. I feel misunderstood. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I just 
I just, I just want my brain to be right. I just want my emotions to be right. I, I keep praying and praying. And I just, I look to the hills and I ask the question, where will my help come from? And this song grabs you by the face and says to you, the Lord is a shelter right by your side. You are not forgotten. You are not left in this battle on your own. These days are hard. Finding the right medication is so difficult. Finding the right therapist, so difficult. Building the right strategies to navigate the uniqueness of the challenge you, you face is so difficult and exhausting. But you are not in this alone because this song is sung to you. Psalm 34, 18 is a promise I've repeated over and over to myself. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. So in all the forms that brokenheartedness comes to us, you find God there. Your challenge, your struggle is not evidence that the Lord has left you. But rather, in that moment, in that long journey towards health and betterment, the Lord is right by your side the whole way. It could be that you don't struggle with mental health challenges, but maybe someone in your life does. And it is possible that maybe in your frustration with all these things, you've had thoughts like this. You might, in the quietness of your heart, said, they just want attention. They could change if they really wanted to. This is a maturity issue, not a mental issue. Look, I just can't anymore. I'm just, I'm done with all of this. They just got to figure it out on their own. So if that's you, I want to encourage you to look deeply at verse 6 and pray that God would give you a heart like his for that precious person in your life. It's one thing to be embattled by thoughts and chemistry and emotions that are beyond your control, but it's another to treat people, hurting people with disdain because of the sin in your own heart. So verse 6 is sung to you, and your prayer is, God, help me sing this song until it is true for me. I want a heart like yours for this person in my life. God's protection is omnipotent, it is vigilant, it is close. Fourth and finally, God's protection is forever. Verses 7 and 8 speak of the duration of God's protection. It is forever. These last two verses in the original language in Hebrew, it's only 14 words. It's not many in English, but it, it's not as few as 14. In Hebrew, it's only 14 words, and one word is repeated three times in those 14 words. It is the word protect. In this limited real estate, the song wants you to get in your brain and in your heart this reality that the Lord will protect you. He will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. He will protect your coming and going both now and forever. It pounds into our hearts and our experiences the reality of the Lord's protection over us. Verse 7 says he'll protect you from all harm. He'll protect your life. Look, we know we're going to face hardship. We're going to face suffering. But we're not consumed by it. 
We judge every hardship in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is alive. God is for us. Satan is defeated. And so we are protected from all harm. Every one of us in this room will have a funeral one day. Every one of us will meet death one day. But that's not the end of the story for the child of God. He's protecting us from all harm. So death isn't the end to a sad and what could have otherwise been a wonderful life. Instead, death is a place of transition to that country where we are truly citizens, that eternal life that he holds for us and intends us for. It is our passage to the new heaven and the new earth. So he protects us from all harm. And verse 8 clarifies the duration of the Lord's protection. The Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forever. He's going to protect your coming and going. You're coming to Jerusalem, you're going back home. So whether you're leaving home or returning home, the Lord is protecting you. What a great prayer for your commute tomorrow morning. And, and the Lord's protection over you is both now and forever. So his constant protection is present tense. This very moment is under the Lord's protection, and your protection lasts as long as God lasts. His protection over you is forever. Here's the key question. How do we access that protection? The song describes the protection. And we might just walk away from here and think it's just like this force field that's just sort of automatically around us. But is there a, a way that we can more tangibly access the protection of God? The Bible has an answer for that question. And the Bible describes God's protection over His people in two ways. One way is passive, one way is active. Here's what I mean. You enjoy the passive protection of God, meaning you are a passive recipient of it. God's active, but you're passive. You take a nap, He never slumbers or sleeps. By being His child, being redeemed, held by Christ, you enjoy this protection that just comes naturally to you as a child of God. That's how we enjoy it in a passive sense. But there's also a way in which we engage in the protection of God in an active way, the active way we enjoy God's protection comes through obedience. Boo! Boring! I don't want to be told to obey. I want a magic prayer. I want an amulet with special powers. G give me some... Don't... God's Word over and over calls us to obedience in order to enjoy the Lord's protection. We just finished reading Psalm 119 last week. Longest chapter in the Bible it was all about the delight of God's Word. And over and over that chapter instructs us, just one example that instructs us of how powerful God's protection is over those who walk in obedience to His commands, His instructions, His ways, His word. The psalm opens this way, Psalm 119, verses 1 and 2. How happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk according to the Lord's instruction. Happy are those who keep His decrees and seek Him with all their heart. So we enjoy the Lord's protection in an active way when we live in obedience to His word. So Cody, are you saying that 
if I disobey, God's going to give something bad to me, that some bad thing is going to happen when I disobey God's word? Maybe. Hey, if you live with a mouthful of lies, there will be consequences for that sort of life. Both now, maybe forever. If you don't love your spouse the way the Bible instructs you to love your spouse, you forfeit the protection of God over your covenant relationship. Is that God being capricious? Not at all. That's just the way this relationship is. When In our covenant relationship with the Lord, when we walk in obedience, we enjoy His protection. And so if you're married, you, you want a marriage that's lifelong and happy. And living according to God's word shows us how to make that happen. If I have neighbors, I want to know how to have a great relationship with them and to lead them to Jesus Christ. So I need to love my neighbors as myself. If I live in line with the word of God, I enjoy the Lord's protection in a very active sense. And here's the good news. That's hard to do. And we fail frequently but we have a God of grace and mercy and compassion who is good to us when we are at our worst and his protection continues and continues and continues. So if we're going to sing Psalm 121, we better be ready to obey the word of the Lord. What's the Lord's protection like? Why in a moment of crisis would you turn to him to help you. Well, here's what the song has told us. The song tells us God's protection is omnipotent, it is vigilant, it is close, and it is forever. What alternative do you have? Well, you certainly have alternatives. I mean, when you look to the mountains for help, there are some other options that pop up too that I think of. One is uh, instead of receiving help from the maker of heaven and earth, you could see, seek help from the earth itself in the form of certain rocks that emit good vibes or herbs that are said to ward off evil spirits, even if that scam had an inkling of truth to it, why would you turn to something created rather than the Creator Himself? Another option, an alternative instead of God, and instead of turning to the Maker of heaven and earth, maybe you just trust in yourself. I've tried trusting God. It doesn't seem to be working out the way I want it to. I'm just going to take things into my own hands. Uh, some people look to the mountains to, to, for help and for rescue. I'm going to look to the mirror. Actually, I need to rewrite this song. I lift my eyes to the mirror. Where does my help come from? It comes from me, so I don't need anyone else. Man, I, I just I don't know how a, a broken person can fix a, a broken life in a broken world. None of those options are acceptable. It only leads to greater misery. And instead, would you let your maker be your rescuer? This song helps us reorient ourselves from a place of turmoil to a place of protection. And in, in, in the song, we are lifting our eyes to the mountains. We lift them from our troubles in a place of turmoil, we lift them to a place of rescue, to the one who brings our help and rescue. Too many times, 
we pray in the midst of crisis with our eyes locked on the crisis. Our whole experience in our life in that moment is defined by what we perceive to be the greatest, most intense suffering and hardship a person can go through. And sometimes that's the right assessment. This is horrible. But Psalm 121 teaches us to pray in a time of crisis with our eyes fixed on God. And when we look to the maker of heaven and earth, what we see is a God who redeems us from the pit, a God who rescues us from every trial and toil and snare, a God who is mighty and powerful and wonderful and delights to save, a God who does not fail in his protection of his children. When you pray with your eyes fixed on God, you'll find that his eyes have been locked on you this whole time. And we have evidence of this in John chapter 17, where we find Jesus praying the night before his crucifixion. And one part of his prayer the night before he died was for your protection. Did you know that? Look at what John 17 says starting in verse 11, says, Jesus prays this. He says, I'm no longer in the world, but they, that's you, they are in the world. I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I'm not praying that you would take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Will God the Father do what God the Son asks in prayer? Without question, both now and forevermore. And so since you are under God's protection, we can worry less, fear less, sin less, slip less. And we can praise more and trust more and love more. And having lived in the protection of God, our maker, you and I can sing a new song, the words of which are found in Jude chapter 1, verse 24. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we need protection, and you know that. And you have already worked to provide it. And when we look at your track record with your people, we find you faithful. Your protection is perfect. It never fails. And even in those moments when the world rages and it seems like sin has the upper hand, you are the God who is victorious. You are a shelter right by our side. You are present both now and forevermore, protecting us in every situation. Lord, we praise you. We confess that it's easy for us to lose hope. It's easy for us to lose faith when we face these trials. 
Thank you, Father, that, that you never lose us. You hold us all the way through. I lift to you this morning, brothers and sisters in this room, whose stories I know and some stories we don't know, who face intense challenges this day, Lord, that you would let them find relief from their burdens by their faith in you. I pray for our brothers and sisters who struggle with mental health challenges. Father, thank you for your exquisite love to them in verse 6. I pray that you would strengthen their hearts, give them joy, a persevering joy, even today. Lord, let us be a people who walk in your protection as we walk in obedience to you, living in your word, according to your word, for our protection and your glory. Lord, we are glad to be your people and that you, the maker of heaven and earth, are our God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.